Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. Yes, this is the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions for our critical times. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. Good to have you with us early in the year, 2024. Uh, and now here in Canada, of course, the, the Ontario legislature and the, and the Canadian Parliament are not sitting yet. Uh, but that's not because there's nothing to talk about here. There's a lot to talk about, which is why we're so pleased to have our next guest with us. He is our good friend, Steve Pakin, the host of The Agenda with Steve Pakin, which is, I think, heading into its 150th season now. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, he's also the co-host of On Poly Podcast and eight different books right now. Uh, and I assume, as always, every time I talk to you, Steve, there's another one in the works right now. First of all, thanks for being with us. Great to have you here today. It's great to see you again. I'm, I, I, of course, was used to talking to you on the radio, but I'm happy to be podcasting with you now. Welcome to the new universe. And uh, as was, as, by the way, and, and as Tiger Cat fans, both you and I, and I see you're wearing the colors today. So that's that's a great start to 2024. We'll talk about Bully of I Mitchell and other stuff maybe another time. <laughs> I want to delve in, if we could, about provincial politics right now. Now, as we mentioned, they're not sitting right now. The Ontario legislature has risen until, uh, I got a month from now, isn't it? It's just before family day that they finally get back to work. But there's no no lack of, of news going on here right now. Uh, the Ontario Liberals, of course, have a new leader. Bonnie Crombie has taken over. Uh, there's some news here about fundraising that I want to talk about uh, right now because it's something that doesn't get a whole lot of ink and a whole lot of airtime. But pol political parties thrive. They need fundraising. Everything they do is made towards gearing money. Uh, you want to be a candidate for the, any particular party? Uh, you have to sell memberships to get the nomination in your riding. Well, that's fundraising. You, you've got to get that money for them. Uh, and the Liberals haven't done a very good job of that lately. The Conservatives, of course, under Doug Ford have done extremely well. But the story now is that uh, the Liberals have not only met but exceeded uh, their goals for this. And, and a story that we just got this morning uh, indicates that even the NDP started uh, uh, with a relatively mild increase in, in funding right now. What's, what's the story behind the story? What do you read into that? I think fundraising, uh, you've analyzed it correctly, Bill, fundraising is crucial in order to be successful in politics, but it's also just an easy way to keep score between elections. It's an indication of how well or not a particular government is doing or a particular opposition is doing for that matter. And as we've seen over the last two Ontario elections, the Ontario Liberals have been in a pretty bad way. You know, they have not been an officially constituted party at Queen's Park for two straight elections. That's never happened before in a century and a half of Ontario political history. So because of the way the votes have split, they've not managed to get to the 12-seat count in the legislature that gets you official party status. And if you don't have status, it's harder to raise money. So when the Liberals say, as Bonnie Crombie did when she won the leadership, I want our people to get out there and raise a million bucks by the end of the year, that's a tall order. And if she was unable to get her team to do that, you can bet that members of the media would be all over her saying, hmm, you put this target out there and you didn't meet it. It's a further indication that the liberals are not doing very well. Well, she put the target out there. Her people did hit it. So they have paid off the debt from the last election campaign, which is a big thing. They have hit that million dollar target, which is a big thing for them. And then they got some really good news, uh, you know, top of this week that they're in first place in the polls. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit later if you want, but but I think the fact is, if you're a new leader, you want to be able to raise money, you'd like to see your polling going up as opposed to down. And by those two metrics, the Ontario Liberals are doing better already. We we talk in politics about the, the honeymoon effect of, of a new leader in this particular case. 
Uh, this is an early honeymoon. I mean, that that sort of an impact that it doesn't usually happen this quickly, does it? No, but let's keep in mind that the Ontario Liberals uh, have been in the doldrums for more than five years, right? It's not just the last two elections that they've lost, but they were also pretty unpopular a year or more before the last election. So it's more than half a decade that they have really been in trouble as it relates to fundraising, as it relates to popularity, as it relates to getting candidates, as it relates to getting votes. They've been in a bad way. So the fact that Crombie has taken over and has apparently this quickly uh, hit her financial targets and beyond that uh, accumulated some goodwill in the party's name and managed to get some additional popularity going after six straight years of being pretty unpopular, you know, I wouldn't take it to the bank yet, but it's not a bad start. Well, especially because of, of what's coming. I mean, as you say, they're not in the legislature right now. Uh, uh, first of all, she's got to get a seat, so she won't be in the legislature for a while yet either. That's that's something they're going to have to deal with. You know, I and don't I'm know sure... about that, Bill. Can I jump in on that? Yeah, I go ahead. I don't, I don't know if that's the case. And, and uh, you know, I've been talking to lots of liberals about this, and they're not really terribly split on this issue about whether the new leader needs a seat. Now, it's conventional wisdom that you want your leader in the legislature to be able to lead the attack during question period, to be able to speak in the legislature, to be able to go to the second floor after question period's over and do the scrums and all that. The, the conventional wisdom is you want your leader to have a presence there. However, I remind your listeners and your viewers, the liberals don't have official party status. So they get very little ice time during question period at all. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's an open question as to whether or not the leader's best use of her time is sitting there in question period doing nothing for, you know, 85 percent of the time, 90 percent of the time, while the NDP is the official opposition gets to ask almost all of the questions. And, you know, you could make a good argument that that's not a good use of her time. So I uh, certainly the, the preponderant view in the leader's office right now is you know, if a by-election shows itself in Mississauga at some point in the next two and a half years, okay, we might jump on that. But otherwise, forget it. There's no compelling reason to get Bonnie Crombie in the House. That's their view at the moment. And there may be some credibility to that. I mean, you, you've spent a lot of times in the halls of Queen's Park uh, as, a, as a young reporter and, of course, later on as a commentator on things like this. Uh, she may not have time, but, I mean, probably, when, I mean, when they do resume in, in February, She's going to be in the gallery. She's going to be watching everything that's going on. And when the media wants to get a comment from Bonnie Crombie, she'll be there. She's just going to walk down the stairs from up there as opposed to down there. So it's not as if she's not going to have the, the possibility of airtime. Uh, if they want her or she wants to find them, it's not going to be a difficult exercise. No, that's quite true. And, and that has happened in the past. I mean, Mike Schreiner is the leader of the Greens yeah. before he got a seat in Guelph. He would do what you just said. He'd hang out in the gallery and he'd watch question period. Then afterwards, he'd come down to the second floor and make himself available for comments. Uh, nothing unusual about that. Uh, I think Ernie Eves had the same issue. Uh, John, you know, John Tory did too, didn't he? John Tory, yeah. They became leader of the Progressive Conservative Party. They did not have seats when they won that leadership and yet still managed a way to make themselves available. That's right. And that, But to me, that just sort of adds fuel to the argument that there's no compelling obligation to get Crombie into the House right now with a seat Given how little ice time she'll have during question period, she can still show up in the building. She can still do interviews in the building, but she's not a slave to the building and she can get out and build the party across the province, which they desperately need to do. There are 124 seats at Queen's Park. The Liberals have nine. 
<laughs> you got a long way to go if you want to form government, if you've only got nine seats. So they got a lot of laboring in the vineyards that they still have to do before they can truly be competitive. Well, I, I don't know if you can actually connect these dots, but uh, I, I'm hearkening back to uh, maybe about 15 years ago, a little longer than that, uh, when Justin Trudeau became leader of the Liberal Party and was criticized often by the prime minister at that time, Stephen Harper, for not being there for question period. He was hardly ever in the House. Well, he was out creating a name for himself. And how did that work out? I mean, he ended up winning a majority government in the next election. So she, and, and I, Bonnie Crombie's been around for a long time. I mean, she knows the ins and outs of politics. So I'm assuming that's going to be the strategy. I'll be there when I need to be there. I'll be commenting when I need to. The rest of the time, I've got to spread the word. I'm going to do a yes, but on that one. Yes, sure. she has a lot of experience in politics. Uh, she's been a three times elected mayor of Mississauga. She's a former member of parliament as well, having served one term from 2008 to 11. Mm -hmm. uh, but she has no experience in provincial politics. Now, let's grant that as the mayor, she certainly would have had a great deal of interaction with the Minister of Housing, with the Premier, in fact. Sure. And the whole issue of getting homes built, of course, would have been very high on her agenda. But let's add to that, the biggest issues in provincial politics tra traditionally are health care and education. I mean, that's 70% of your budget right there. Yeah. You know, she has, I think I can say this on solid ground, she has not yet demonstrated to a great number of people that she has any particular expertise on healthcare or education. Um, I think I think she's a work in progress on those scores. And in fact, advisors of hers that I've talked to, who I've pointed out to, saying she knows federal issues, she knows municipal issues. What about health education, the environment, justice issues? How strong is she on that? They acknowledge she's got some work to do on those fronts. But they also say she's a quick study and can get up to that, can get up to speed on that stuff. And and it, the best example of this bill is that before Doug Ford became the premier of Ontario, he knew next to nothing about provincial affairs. He didn't know how a bill became law. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and he's been a pretty quick study and he's won back to back majorities. So obviously being a policy wonk is not necessarily the ticket to ride in provincial politics. Uh you, you mentioned, of course, that she's not going to be in the House. Uh, the Liberals without party status. Uh, we look at 2023 in hindsight. I don't want to spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror here, Steve, but it, it was not a banner year for Doug Ford and his party. OK, a whole lot of stuff went down. Uh, you know, reports from from the Integrity Commissioner, reports from the Auditor General, uh, the Greenbelt fiasco that is ongoing. We still don't have the uh, the final tab on what's going on with that. Is he vulnerable? And is Crombie a strong enough politician to be able to take advantage of those vulnerabilities? Well, is he vulnerable? Yes. Is she an experienced enough politician to take advantage of that? Yes. Did she win the Ontario Liberal leadership in part because one of her unique selling propositions was an ability to get under the premier skin as no other candidate out there could? Yes. Does that mean that she's going to win the next election? Of course not. We got a long way to go before any of that happens. The Tories may be down right now, but they certainly can't be counted out. Uh, they've been down before and have bounced back, and the Liberals have been up before and fallen down. So we're, we're polls are a great indication of what people were thinking yesterday. They are not predictive to what people are going to think next week, let alone two and a half years from now when the next election takes place. So while the polls today are looking pretty good for the Ontario Liberals um, you know, Bill, this this story just popped into my head. I remember when Bob Ray got elected Premier of Ontario back in September of 1990. And by December, he started on election day at 37 point something, 37.8%, something like that, 37.6. 
And by December, he was up in the mid, mid to high 40s. In other words, if they'd been able to rerun that election in December, he'd have won a big, big, big majority government, even bigger than he got. And one day, his finance minister, Floyd Lochran, walked into Queens Park and into question period and showed him the polling from that day, showing the liberals in the high 40s. And Bob Ray looked at him and said, Floyd, don't inhale. And he understood, <laughs> he well understood that polling can be just so ephemeral. You're high today, you're low tomorrow, uh, up and down all the time. So um, the liberals can be heartened by the polls today. But as Bob Ray said back in the day, 34 years ago, don't inhale. Uh, there's a guy that's got some political smarts too. Uh, and, and you wonder just where this is going to transcend uh, with, with the, well, first the NDP and of course with Bonnie Crombie and the liberals with Margaret Stiles at the NDP leadership as well, who is the leader of the opposition right now. She's seemingly lost in the shuffle here right now, but they have increased their fundraising. Are, are they going to be a factor in, in the, now I, I don't mean in the next election, because like you say, that's a million years from now right now, but, but you got to score points on a daily basis. And when they're on the ice, uh, she's the one that's got the microphone during question period. Uh, first of all, maybe evaluate uh, her her 2023 year and going forward, how much of an impact is she going to have? Because as you mentioned, you've got a government right now that's not necessarily on its knees, but they're on their heels. They are. And I, I guess one of the unfortunate things for Marit Stiles, and you can't blame her for this, she just simply was head and shoulders better than anybody else who might have been interested in the job. And as a result, she was acclaimed for the NDP leadership when she got the job. Again, not her fault, but by virtue of the fact that she didn't really have to run against anybody in order to win that job, there was not that, you know, whenever there's a leadership event that takes place, there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of people buying memberships, there's a lot of people raising money, there's a lot of people getting excited about candidates. None of that happened in this case because they handed the job to her on a silver platter. So from that standpoint, the NDP missed out. She's doing fine in the House. She's doing fine. She's a good performer. The issues that she she's raising are the right issues. She's doing fine. She definitely, look, you're a Hamilton-based guy. I'm originally from Hamilton. You and I have been keeping our eye on, on the Sarah Jama story for a very long time. Yeah. That thing absolutely waylaid her and put her between a, you know, the proverbial rock and a hard place. Um, and, and to know how to work your way out of that problem really took the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, ultimately, they couldn't figure out a way to keep JAMA in caucus. She is gone. A lot of party members were upset about that. Uh, but a lot of party members who support Israel think it was the right thing to do. So in any event, a, a tough spot to be in. You can't count the NDP out of anything. They're the official opposition in the province for the next two and a half years and will be. And by virtue of that fact, Marit Stiles has the opportunity to be the star of question period every day that they have one. Now, it's going to be up to them to make sure they hit the right issues, they hit them well, that she keeps her name in the news. She's still not all that well known. I think we have to remember, Bonnie Crombie's been around politics for a long time. Uh, as a big city mayor, she certainly has had a very high profile. She told stories when she ran for the leadership about the fact that she'd be up in northern Ontario and people would come up to her and say, what's the mayor of Mississauga doing up here? So she's well known. You know, Styles didn't have a tremendous amount of, of profile before she became the leader. Building that will be part of her responsibilities over the next two and a half years. But can it be done? Of course it can be done. And, and politics will give her the opportunity to do it.
I just got a minute or two left here, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, the team uh, going forward here. And, and let's face it, even though the election is still a long way off, uh, the candidates, the MPPs, the people who are potential candidates are always a factor. Uh, it had to be tough for the Liberals in the last couple of elections to get anybody to run as a Liberal because they figured, okay, you know, really, yeah, I want to just throw myself into the fire. Uh, but now, I, the, you know, I hope springs eternal, I guess. Uh, on the other side, Doug Ford and his team are, are under fire. We've uh, seen, for instance, federally, a number of Liberal MPs have already stated they're not going to run in the next election, whenever that might be. Uh, the only real defection, I guess, if you want to call it that, last year was Monty McNaughton, who I think was a major loss, by the way. He's I think, one of the best performing members in cabinet and a, a very likable guy. And boy, when you're in the kind of situation Doug Ford is right now, you're looking for likable guys in your cabinet. Mm. Uh, he's gone, though. And uh, I just wonder if they're going to see uh, a further erosion of that. Or, or are these guys just going to, you know, uh, buck the headwinds here and keep on going? Well, the short answer is you just won't know until we see how well the premier's doing a year, a year and a half, two years from now. If his polling numbers are still competitive, if he looks like he still has a firm hand on the tiller, if he looks like his leadership is not in jeopardy, if he looks like he's got a shot to win again, then I'm sure the conservatives will have no difficulty finding candidates for those ridings they want to be competitive in. If, however, and I'm not saying this is what Monty McNaughton thought, but if he thought the Greenbelt scandal is really getting to my guy. He's got barnacles all over him. The ship of state is taking on more water. Uh, the Tories are low in the polls. We're having trouble raising money. Uh, we're, we're not sure if we can attract the best candidates. Well, that's going to be a different story then. Uh, all of You're asking all the right questions, and you're <laughs> pointing your listeners to all of the right metrics that we need to pay attention to. Uh, but the reality is we're not going to know for a year or two or more uh, the answers to these questions. And then when we do find out the answers, we'll have a really good indication about how that next election is going to go. Well, uh, it's going to be a fascinating 2024 here in the province of Ontario. As we mentioned, that more to come on the Greenbelt situation, some of those investigations, the RCMP investigation, mm -hmm. uh, healthcare stories about uh, poor staffing and poor uh, circumstances and all of these facilities continue to rage as well. So uh, there's a lot to talk about in the coming 12 months here in Ontario, and we look forward to further conversations with you on this too. Steve Pakin, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. It was great to talk to you again. Thanks for having me. Steve Pakin, of course, the host of The Agenda with Steve Pakin. And uh, you can also catch him, by the way, with his own podcast. Uh, that's the On Polly podcast, of course, with John Michael Montgomery. That's it for this. That's the way we see it today. And Bill Kelly, we'll catch you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Rebecca Wizens and her team at Wizens Law. Now, if you or a loved one have been seriously injured, or if you want to make sure that your family is taken care of for the future with a will and powers of attorney, call Rebecca Wizens, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. When life happens, you can rely on Rebecca Wizens and Wizens Law. And trust me, Rebecca is my wife, and I don't know what I'd do without her. That's Wizens Law, 905-522-1102 for a free consultation. Thanks for tuning in. This is Bill Kelly. Till next time, you take care.